there's no issue that's too little or too small that could be discussed and talked about in an EAP setting. When I'm working with clients or having discussions like this, I always tell people the best time to do something is when you have the insight that this may become a problem. Hi, I'm Shane Dealing, Senior Manager for Counselling Services at Telus Health. You're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, focusing on pharmacy management and ownership. The PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. I think we've all had that moment of wanting to speak to someone about something that bothers us, but not knowing who to turn to, or even if our issue is big enough to be taken seriously. Today, we have two special guests, Kylie Hancock and Shane Dealing, who are here to shed light on an invaluable resource that's often underutilised, but can make a world of difference in the lives of not only pharmacy staff, but also their close family. We're talking about the TELUS Health Employee Assistance Program. The TELUS EAP is a fantastic tool for empowering you to take the steps needed to manage your well-being, and it provides a host of resources and clinicians to support you when you need it most. No issue is ever too small to discuss. So if you have ever wondered how to tackle those moments when something is bothering you or you've questioned whether your concerns are worth addressing, this episode is for you. Here's Kylie and Shane. Hi, Kylie and Shane, and welcome to the podcast today because, as you know, we're going to be discussing all things Employee Assistance Program or EAP. To help us get started and and set the scene a little bit, it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your expertise and experience with EAPs. And we'll start with you, Kylie. So, Daniel, I've been working in the health and wellbeing space for just over two years um, with TELUS, but more specifically, I've had a very professional relationship with the Guild through previous roles that I've had in my career. I really do understand the industry of the Guild that they work in um, and the challenges that they face, the current circumstances that are impacting their industry. I've worked with hundreds of clients, understanding needs for their business, their pain points, how a wellbeing program can mitigate psychosocial risks that they may have within their business. And also driving results for improvements in productivity and engagement. I guess for me and why I love the health and wellbeing space so much is that, and particularly what I do today, it's okay to be not okay about how you feel. You know, you can read an article on why you feel sad, listen to a podcast on um, how to get a better night's sleep, you know, or call and speak to a professional about your teenagers wearing you down. None of these feelings are, are foreign. To, to any of us and, and how they make us feel. I guess, though, it's about the impacts that they have on you and those around you. Having access to a, an EAP program is really no different than having a calculator to work out those more complex problems that you may have. I mean, we can all do basic solving in our heads, but, you know, it's really helpful to have support and resources around you to, you know, make things a bit easier in life. For me as well, you know, I've worked a lot in the community space in other roles too, and I'm really about helping people to make positive changes. And I think it's really something I've done throughout my whole professional career is really want to make an impact into changing things for the better for people. 
And Shane, what about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your expertise and experience with EAPs. Similar to Kylie, I also like to see people make positive changes in in their life. So that's probably the main reason why I became a psychologist originally. So my role within Telos, who I've been with for two and a half years, is that I'm the senior manager for all counselling services for the Asia-Pacific region. I've been a psychologist since 2007. My master's is in organisational psychology, but most of my experience has been in clinical and management roles. Um, However, I've done a lot within the organisational settings as well. So my team, they manage all of the the virtual counselling, the face-to-face counselling, the digital delivery of counselling. I'm a strong believer in the holistic sort of healthcare, and I think that EAP plays a very pivotal part in that. And EAP or any service that is easy to access, and particularly if it's free and confidential, and that is one of the main benefits of EAP, that it's it's free, it's confidential, and we'll talk more a little bit later on about the ease of access and the modalities that people people can utilise to um, get the support that they need. But I guess um, mental health, in my view, plays a critical component in helping people manage their well-being and manage every other aspect of their life. There's a pretty common saying that without your mental health, you don't have any health. So you need to treat that um, very carefully and treat it as carefully um, and as put, put as much work into it as what people put into sometimes going to the gym for their physical health. I think that's a very important point you make there. Kylie, there's people currently listening to the show who might not completely understand and be sure about what an EAP is. Perhaps they've briefly heard about it, but not much more than that. Please tell us exactly what EAP is. EAPs have been around for close to a century. Um, they were first established to deal with occupational alcoholism. Um, they have evolved over the years and, and you know, around that time back in the 1940s. Um, you know, it also then extended out to short-term services like financial and legal help. Uh, traditional EAP was a process where you went to HR when you had a problem and they gave you a number and then you reached out to a provider and you got support over the phone. Today, an employee assistance program is a work-based intervention program that's designed to address various personal and professional related issues that can compromise an individual's ability to perform. What TELUS Health delivers um, through this initiative with the Guild is a modernised, confidential and holistic wellbeing program. It's supporting mental, social, physical and financial wellbeing. Um, with the Guild's initiative to partner with us to deliver a health and wellbeing program really demonstrates also their, their commitment, uh, not only to advocating and representing its members, but also recognising the stresses and strains resulting from, uh, let's put in there the pandemic, um, the demands put on staff, um, you know, occasionally there may be situations where they're, you know, copying abuse from customers um, and, you know, uncertainty into the, the future. I mean, all these things take their toll. Uh, it's an occupational hazard that all too often you're too busy looking after your patients that you can neglect your own health. Uh, I think you know, the fact that the Guild, you know, has recognised this and, uh, you know, it's not a new thing for them, but I think it's that they've also then taken that next step. And as of July this year, uh, introduced a free um, employee assistance program for their members and staff to support the health and wellbeing of their, their members. Um, you can access um, 
an integrated wellbeing ecosystem uh, through various channels. So you can do it through the mobile app. Um, you could do it through the click to call function within that app. You can jump on the desktop version and send a chat. Um, there's you know, a different ways in which you can actually access uh, the program with Telus Health. You also, through the wellbeing app, have a gateway to thousands of support and resources spanning across you know, those four pillars of your social, mental, physical, and financial wellbeing. Um, the platform app um, really empowers the members to take charge of their wellbeing, um, blending in you know, that convenience along with a digital innovation. Uh, the clinical support is available 24-7 with access to highly skilled, um, experienced clinicians delivering, as I mentioned, confidential, evidence-based, practical solutions. Uh, they can do it over the phone, via video, or face-to-face. -face. Uh, and I guess just one thing to note about this particular initiative from the Guild is that in the last three months, over 7,000 members have actually subscribed to the initiative. And just remembering that there's no cost to the member. Shane, as Kylie's just outlined, the EAP is basically a mental health tool that people can access. There's obviously many other ways to receive sort of similar help, such as somebody can take themselves to the GP, they can seek counselling, or maybe even the pharmacy has its own HR department where they can seek help from. Why might an EAP be preferable to, for an example, an in-person's counsellor's appointment? There's many reasons for that. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that all of those other options that you outlined are very good options for helping people manage their mental health, but probably where EAP sort of stands alone uh, or outside of that is is around the convenience and the accessibility. So we offer, so Kylie mentioned that we offer uh, video or virtual telepho telephonic or face-to-face -face appointments. The convenience of a virtual appointment, many of us may have experienced throughout the pandemic, um, the experience of being able to go and see your GP uh, via a telehealth appointment for the first time. This was a bit of a game changer and it also pivoted EAPs and other mental health providers to looking at, is this an effective modality of intervention? And the research shows that for problems that are not extremely complex down the pointy end of the spectrum, what actually don't sit in the EAP bucket, that it is as effective as in-person um, therapy. So it's probably the convenience, the accessibility. Also, the other thing that attracts people to that is the privacy. Some individuals may not feel comfortable uh, discussing their sensitive or personal information, even in a room that they uh, go to and see a person, they still need to go through that front door. They still need to travel there. Um, so, so that um, ease of access via a virtual modality has been a bit of a game changer in, in the mental health space, especially the EAP space. Some of the other reasons why it might be preferable um, compared to some of the primary health uh, community-based um, programs is you have a large selection of therapists that you can access. Um, given that our, the majority of our appointments are accessed via a virtual modality. You can have a therapist in Western Australia that might suit uh, your needs a lot more than, say, your local therapist in Queensland. So that's that's another um, key difference. Also, we have quite low wait times as well. So the speed to which you can get an appointment in EAP is generally around 24 to 48 hours. Sometimes, depending if someone wants a particular person in a particular place with a particular skill set, that wait time might be a bit longer. But if you're phoning up for 
um, some of the commonly presenting issues that people present with, like depression and anxiety, then the speed at which you can get an appointment is, is very, very fast. Also, it's the cost efficiency. There's no out-of-pocket for, for, the, for, for the customer or for your client. Um, and with, even with our, we, we have a very good healthcare system in Australia comparatively to many areas in the world, but most of the time there's an out-of-the-pocket, out-of-pocket expense as well, either associated with going to your GP and associated with seeing a psychologist or social worker in the community or both. And I know that those out-of-pocket um, costs can be anywhere up to $150 per session. So that's one of the main attractors, I feel, in my view. And then we also, as, as Kylie mentioned, we are, I believe that TELUS is a pretty forefront in the technology integration in utilising um, applications and um, our web-based technology in order for people to be able to have a seamless therapeutic experience throughout their, um, their journey. Great rundown. Kylie, of course, there's other organisations that offer EAPs for different industries and, and organisations. They, they can all differ a little bit. What one EAP offers might not be what exactly another EAP offers. Can you walk us through some of the base tools or, or services that, that a user can expect from your service? Yes, a lot of EAP programs do appear, on the, I guess, on the surface to be very comparable and apples for apples. I think the key differentiator with what Teleself delivers is the integration between the digital wellbeing platform app and also the clinical support that, that Shane was just speaking about then. So as an example, if you were to have booked your appointment and we'll use Shane's example there on anxiety and you've had your session with your clinician and you've booked your next session, that clinician is actually going to have the capacity to say to you, so Jane, we'll call her Jane. Jane, you've um, we've spoken today around anxiety. Look, we've got our next appointment next week. What I, you know, have you downloaded the wellbeing app? To which response, Jane's definitely going to say, yes, I have. I've downloaded the app, and the clinicians then able to say, that's great, Jane. What I'd love you to do is jump into the app and go under the wellbeing tab on the app and go into the Care Now programs. So the Care Now programs are our cognitive behavioural therapy programs. So they're self-driven, um, solution-focused, and they're modulised. So you can work your way through them. It gives you an idea of how long it's going to take you to complete each one. There's, I think it's over 30 at the moment of Care Now programs, and they're constantly evolving as we identify different trends and insights into you know, the problems of the world, let's put it put it that way. Um, so the clinician will say, okay, so Jane, jump in there on that Care Now program. So there's one there for anxiety. What I'd love you to do is work your way through that program on the anxiety. And then, you know, we've got our appointment next week. So it's not a have a session and then do nothing about your well-being for a week. This is around that integration between I've had my, my session with my clinician and I can actually actively work on my well-being until I have my next session. So you're you're able to work your way through. And for me, it is that for me is the really strong differentiator um, in what this program delivers and how you engage with it. Um, having that connection, I mean, some some providers, you know, they everything is outsourced. There isn't that 
interconnection, that integration between what the digital aspect is available as well as clinical. So that for me is really where I see the difference around our product offering and obviously the program that the Guild has chosen for its members. Shane, I just want to take a step back because I want to pick up on something you mentioned before. Something that's quite common is that people, they might be hesitant to call a professional to speak with, maybe for a wide range of reasons. It might be that they're worried that their issue doesn't really fall within the spectrum of, of things that EAP can help with, or it might be that they're f- they feel their issue isn't serious enough or they have anxiety at the moment, but when I get to speak to somebody, I won't have anxiety. So it comes and goes and I'll be able to manage it. Or they, they may just feel as though they're just wasting someone's time, maybe taking up a slot. What are some of the things that a user can actually talk about and get support with? First of all, there's no issue that's too little or too small that could be discussed and talked about in an EAP setting. I always, when I'm working with clients or or giving sort of discuss or having discussions like this, I always tell people the best time to do something is when you have the insight that this may become a problem. And they they're sort of the things that you're alluding to there, Daniel, that people thinking, well, this might be an issue, but then it may not be an issue when I get there. That is the best time to go and learn some coping skills, work through some of those cognitive behavioural modules that Kylie mentioned just before, and take a really proactive approach uh, towards your mental health. So that's that's the first part, the point that I would like to make. However, some of the common things that people present with are like common mental health problems such as anxiety, depression, stress, mood disorders, also relationship issues as well, life transitions. We live in a very uncertain economic environment at the moment and people are challenged by the cost of living so people will be coming will, will be can come to EAP for uh, for, for uh, financial advice um, and I'll talk to some of those other programs in a second actually also grief and loss is some of the things that people may present with self-esteem self-confidence behavioral concerns also personal growth. People just may want to have a conversation around how do I get to this next step in my career? Um, even though people may think this does not fit within to an EAP bracket, it does because you're looking at how do I improve my, my well-being through my career outcome. So we can discuss and work with people on things like that as well. Also parenting and family issues is a common thing that people come to EAP for as well. Um, work and career issues, coping and stress. Also, um, as I mentioned uh, briefly before, through the EAP program, we have access to manager consults as well. So this is a specific program that I manage that um, our clinicians that also have HR and management experience only undertake this service. And that's targeted for specific, specifically for managers to help them deal with some of the difficult conversations that they may be having with employees. It could be, for example, that they have an employee that is presenting with a mental health issue, but they're also performing really poorly. So where does that boundary sit around um, how do I performance manage this person while simultaneously ensuring that I'm not doing anything that really triggers their mental health uh, issues? This is a really delicate balance. So our clinicians can work with managers and help them through that and navigate that area. The other things that people can access the EAP for is for legal and financial advice and then also nutritional services as well. So I guess probably the key thing to remember in my view is that all of the clinicians that tell us are trained to provide a safe and non-judgmental space for uh, your, your employees to discuss their concerns 
and help them develop strategies to move forward in whatever it is that they're presenting with. When you're working with those professionals, somebody rings up, confidentiality is a crucial aspect of EAPs because many people are going to be sharing things that they wouldn't want their employer or colleagues or their family to know about. To put some minds at ease, how does the program ensure the strict confidentiality of the information and the conversations that are happening? Yeah, that's a very good question and it's a very common one that's asked as well. So I guess probably to try and relate it to um, something that um, your members can relate to. So in a pharmacy setting, um, privacy is paramount as well. And that's the same as it's same in a therapeutic setting. So EAP is designed to be confidential and it's primarily designed that way. So employees feel confident that they're able to access that um, support without information going back to their employer. Also, on top of that as well, all of the clinicians that we employ are governed by a code of ethics and a governing body. We, we employ clinicians from different backgrounds, so it would be a breach of their code of ethics if they were to disclose any information back to the employer. The only time when information may be breached and confidentiality may be breached is when there's risk of harm to either the person that's presenting or potentially someone else. And then in that, at that point in time, a risk assessment would be undertaken with a senior clinician and we would look at what steps do we need to take to ensure the safety of the, um, that person or the other pe uh, people that may be involved in that. Um, but in regards to the vast majority of our presentations, there is nothing that is, well, there's nothing that's reported back to the employer full stop. The circumstances that I just outlined there when there's risk, then you, you do have an obligation to breach, um, breach confidentiality, but that may not be to the employer. That might be to emergency services to ensure that you can wrap the community-based um, mental health team around that person to ensure safety. So as I mentioned, uh, that confidentiality really instills in um, our clients uh, the ability for them to feel that they can reach out and seek help in a non-judgmental, confidential setting. And as I said as well, we have a legal and ethical obligation to maintain that confidentiality. It might seem really obvious to you, Shane, but as an employee, is it even reported back to the employer that somebody has accessed the scheme and who it is? That's a good question as well, Daniel, but no, it is not. At a level, aggregated data may be reported back. Um, however, that is only reported back at a, a large aggregated level where you cannot identify different individuals. So it's a business unit or for your members, an individual pharmacy that has, say, only four or five employees, that data would never be reported back that it was the pharmacy from X location, this employee without the name, um, because you can actually identify people the smaller the group um, that's involved. So, so nothing like that goes back to um, to the guild. Excellent. Certainly provides a level of confidence that people can ring up and, and discuss their issues. So let's say somebody has rung up, they've taken that first step. What kind of support can the, the user expect when they first make that phone call? And you know, should I do it in my lunch break? Do I have enough time? Should I wait for after hours? What can I expect when I ring and how long is it going to take before some next steps are set? When someone phones up to uh, to seek their first appointment, the first appointment will be generally set within 24 to 48 hours, depending on location and modality that um, 
that person may be looking for. If it is face-to-face, then there might be a slightly longer waiting time. So a per- we have many people that seek appointments during the lunchtime. We, we shape our service so it fits around people's lives. Our service delivery, our, our normal service delivery, is from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. So most of our appointments fall within that spectrum of time. So whatever is convenient for the person, we can accommodate. I I often say to clients, depending on the nature of their presentation and how much that is going to, uh, I guess, uh, trigger them and cause them discomfort, you may want to think about whether that is something that you can do in your lunch hour while you go back to work. However, like many organisations, people are working remotely from home. So yes, you could do that um, in your lunch hour if that is if that is where you're working, even if you are going to feel quite distressed after that. But people just need to be aware that therapy um, often raises a lot of challenging, confronting things for them, and that has an emotional toll. So they just need to Clients need to set their own parameters around how they're going to manage that for themselves. A lot of the things that you've spoken about, that broad range of of services or or points where people can get help, they're not purely directed or linked to just being at work, nine to five potentially, and, and, and obviously related to work. As you said, people can get financial assistance, they can get help regarding family situations. But that need for support or advice can also strike at any time, whether that's 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. Are there any limitations a user can expect when they need to to reach out that they'd need to keep in mind if they want to, say, for example, call at 3 a.m. in the morning? So we do operate outside of hours. Those services are set up outside of hours for highly distressed and or at risk clients. So people can, or if people do want to speak to someone at that point in time, they can get through to someone. However, we would be trying to encourage people to set those appointments within that range of hours that we talked about. Even though, as I said, they can speak to someone if they wake up in the middle of the night and something is something is happening that is urgent, they will get through through to a counsellor but we would not set ongoing appointments for 3 a.m. in the morning. It is a service used to manage um, at distress, uh, distressed and at-risk calls at that point in time. So I would encourage your members to look at, look at the time frame of 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. as the, the normal span of hours, but again emphasising if support's required outside of that, they can have that support for sure. Excellent. Kylie, Although a workplace should be a safe space for people, there's always a chance that something traumatising happens during work hours. And that could be something like a crime within the pharmacy or even a bushfire or a flood, which causes significant stress to not just the staff, but the surrounding community that they are there on the front line supporting day in, day out. When stressful events like those happen at work, giving someone a call to get help for yourself for the trauma that you're experiencing might not be the first thing to cross the affected individual's mind. In fact, a lot of people just default into how can I help the people in front of me and not be looking after themselves? How can the EAP help out in situations like those? What role does it have to play? 100% on the we all default to that mindset of, you know, either fear or be a hero or, you know, what's the solution and, and being the nature of the Guild members, you know, putting others before themselves is 
probably far more in, in their front of mind than themselves. Um, look, there's also the potential that there's a delay in how the situations actually impact you. Um, I was actually at one of the um, the annual big conference, the APP conference that is held every year and um, last year. And I actually was speaking with a, a pharmacy group who were from the Lismore region. And this was where we were talking about the, the launching of the program. So it was really fresh and really new. But speaking with these um, pharmacy um, employees from Lismore, and it was almost 12 months on, they were actually coming up to the point where they were about to reopen their pharmacy. And they were speaking to me about how, because they'd been so focused in the getting things done and doing things and making sure everything's right and, you know, what are the, you know, other methods we can support our community, it kind of didn't hit them until okay, we're opening the store again, you know, what if it happens again, you know? So there was almost that delay, that post-traumatic stress that it was coming through for them. And, you know, as I explained to them, EAP can support you as an individual in those circumstances, but another part of the service and that we offer, and it's around that critical incident. So where you are having a, a situation where, you know, it might be that you'd had a hold up in the in the pharmacy and, you know, you've got your whole team there and they've been impacted or, you know, if such thing as, you know, there was a, a death of an employee and, you know, those, those types of scenarios where it's impacting a group of people. We have what's called critical incident support. So the critical incident support is not a part of the um program that the Guild offers as a, you know, there's no charge for it. But it, what we have done is built in that individual pharmacies can access critical incident support. Um, it is a process of um, providing, a, I guess, an authorization. Um, we have a scoping team, a dedicated team that are highly trained in these critical incidents um, to support the, the, you know, the trauma or vicarious traumas that may occur in these situations. Um, but as I said, it's it's available to access. It's not a, a cost that's covered under the program, but you have the ability to access those support services. So it is a part of, um, of the program, I guess, and you complete an authorization form um, and the individual pharmacy is invoiced for the services delivered. Um, we do also provide disaster response as well. Now, in my just over two years of working with TELUS Health. When we're talking disasters, we're talking your bushfires, your floods, um, you know, we look at today and, and the, the things that are occurring around the world. As an organisation, um, TELUS Health is really focused on community and being that we are actually a global provider, it really doesn't matter where you are. If there is an impact that can potentially affect a large group of people, uh, country, um, several countries, um, as an organisation, they actually activate our community line. So that activation allows people, clients or not, to call up and talk through um, how global things are impacting them, what natural disasters are impacting them. We, we opened it up with the floods. We opened it up with the fires. You know, 
that is, I guess, how invested we are in well-being of where we are. We say we give where we live. So as a global organisation, we're everywhere. So we are all giving. And those services, as I said, anyone in the community, if they're feeling impacted by, you know, the floods, they could actually call through on the number, line or not, and receive some support around that natural disaster that's occurred. Um, so there are those support tools available. As I said, it's not covered under the, the program as such that the PGA um, has, you know, provided for its members at, a, at no charge to them, but it is certainly a service and support that is available for them to access when those incidents arise. It's great to hear because as we've obviously now established, the EAP allows people to get the support when they need it, no matter where or when. Based on all that we've discussed so far, it's clear that the EAP can play a much bigger role in users' daily lives than they might have actually previously anticipated. People might have been thinking, well, this is just when I have mental health issues or there's anxiety. It's, it's, it's those things that, that the program covers. But as we've learned, covers a wide range of points and, and things that it can provide support with. How can the EAP actually empower individuals to, to take ownership of their mental health? I always want to rewind that. The terminology of EAP, it, it does just in itself just houses people to the, I go to HR, I get a number and I, I call someone that cares. That's probably a really, you know, definition of what traditional was. What the offering is that the Guild and Telus Health program delivers is it's flexible. As Shane mentioned, it is confidential. Um, it's there for members and immediate family members. So your family members are, you know, your biggest support crew, I guess. So if you're struggling, then quite often, you know, that's impacting on them as well. So you do have that access for your family members. But it also enables you to kind of take charge and start to build in a preventative approach to your well-being, you know, in, in helping you to improve your work and life balance. You know, human to human interaction and, you know, clinical knowledge, they're all of integral importance in the therapeutic outcome and to enable proactive behavioural changes. But first of all, you've got to want to change. I mean, you have access to an amazing program. Um, you know, it may be that the the wellbeing platform and app, that's that's the only place you're gonna go. I, I actually just I'm I'm quite comfortable. I manage my wellbeing really well. But, you know, it, it's also nice to be able to go, oh, you know, my teenage daughter, I promise, I'm not talking from experience. My teenage daughter is really pushing my buttons at the moment. Am I doing a good job? And I myself, I know I was thinking hypothetically there for a moment, I myself have actually gone onto the platform and have a look at information on, you know, parenting teenagers, um, you know, and just reading content, it, it validated how I was feeling that it was actually quite okay. And you know what, I, I even took that next step and actually reached out to a clinician and, you know, was speaking with somebody around, you know, how do I listen better? You know, I feel like I'm not speaking the same language. And all of that has actually empowered me to have better conversations with my, my teenagers. Um, you know, the program, as I said, you have access, but you're only going to see change or improvements in your well-being 
if you're prepared to engage with the tools that are available. I use the analogy with clients. I say it's all good and well to have a gym membership, but if you never go, then why are you asking? Why aren't I stronger or fitter? You've got the tools and resources there, but you, you actually aren't investing in yourself to use those tools and resources. Um, and, you know, without actually changing the way you think about well-being, um, you, you won't see changes. Um, but yeah, I think it's the tools and resources that are available are so accessible. It doesn't have any financial burden on you that you have to then outlay costs. You know, it is a, a program that has been invested in by the Guild to support all the members of the Guild. I hate to say it, it's kind of a no-brainer. I do like the point you made where you're only going to see change if you take action and engage. So, Shane, what would you say to anyone who has, maybe they're thinking, oh, maybe I should have reached out to EAP or maybe I'll do it next week, but they just haven't done so yet. What would you say to them? Look, I think it's important to continue to offer people encouragement and support in a non-judgmental way and also try and outline some of the benefits to people if they're hesitant um, to reaching out to EAP and speak to some of those uh, points that I made previously around it's better to be proactive and do things before it becomes too difficult. But for someone that has reached out uh, for EAP, I would encourage the person that they're disclosing that information to, to highlight to them that it's a very positive step that they've made and that help-seeking behaviour is a strength, that it's not a weakness. We still have a lot of stigma that's surrounding mental health. We've come light years in the last decade of, or so, but the stigma is still very, very strong. So whatever words of encouragement that people can um use to help break down those barriers and make people feel that it's a normal part of life being very distressed, extremely distressed, and then sometimes just a little bit distressed. But there are ways to learn to cope through that. So whatever people can do to make people feel it, it's, it, it is normal and that that support is there, it's not uncommon for people to go and access that can only be a benefit and help people, um, I guess, on that journey of change. And Kylie, once somebody does actually reach out, has that initial call that Shane's just spoken about, what sort of next steps are there going to be as options? What can people expect? So as I mentioned before, there's that conduit into the, the wellbeing platform itself. There's the, the planning with the clinician around, you know, yes, let's have another session. You know, it could also take a bit of a turn as well in the sense that the individual might have called with one presenting issue and then also Actually, the underlying issue is something a little bit different, um, but it is around the, you know, your treatment planning. So, you know, based on an assessment, the psychologist will collaborate uh, with the individual and create a treatment plan. Um, and then you've got, you know, as I mentioned, the sessions, you know, progress monitoring. So throughout the therapy, you know, we'll monitor individuals' progress towards their goals. And, you know, they make the, the therapist will, the clinicians will make the adjustments um, as I guess the the process evolves, um, and again, you know that, that homework that we we talked about around you know um, referring people back to the platform, 
Uh, and then also, you know, just that continued support. Um, if, you know, I just also just wanted to kind of flag as well that, you know, if something actually does evolve into something that doesn't sit within an EAP, so, you know, isn't a, a short-term solution-focused um, therapy model, we also do have the um, the abilities and, and the processes and the procedures in place to actually refer out to community as well. So this is done in consultation with the individual that is, you know, and has initially come through with the EAP and that transition into a program that will support a, you know, a longer term care plan. Um, if you take, for example, a, you know, an eating disorder, an eating disorder is not something that you're really going to be able to rectify in a six session model. So, you know, it would be that yeah, absolutely. We're not going. You're not going to say, "Oh, I'm calling up and I have a need," and we go, oh, "Sorry, we can't help you." That's that. You know, there are underlying issues as well. So, you know, it's around supporting the individual, building the confidence around the fact that they have taken those first steps, but then also managing that transition into a longer-term care plan, and that is 100% a part of the process that the clinicians can deliver on as well. Excellent, Shane. Supporting and changing a patient's life for the better is something that you strive to do every day in your role. Could you share with us an, an anecdote to help round this conversation out, an anecdote of how you have achieved that during your time? There's many that I can sort of think back to that motivate me as a psychologist. And probably one of the key things that I really like to see is how that therapy can help individuals understand and manage their emotions that leads to significant changes in their lives. Probably the example that I'm going to use is with a client of mine. I'll call them Alex. Um, this, this one's from many years ago. And Alex presented to me after losing his job and um, from having a physical injury and was unable to undertake the role that he was had done for many years. From memory, he was in his early 30s and had undertaken uh, physical types of roles, but it significantly hurt his back and was unable to do any of that physical work. Alex presented with anxiety, frustration, anger, and problems with adjusting to that injury. He was also unemployed at that time as well. So I worked with Alex in a number of sessions, and the, I guess as therapy unfolded, Alex um, experienced significantly less anxiety, and also I helped him through, it's called acceptance and commitment therapy, but helped him to accept um, and commit to some changes in his life around what types of things is he able to do, um, given the physical restraint constraints that he has that aren't going to go away. So there are things that you can do physically to strengthen your back and strengthen your core muscles as well. But once you have a, a significant injury to your spine, you're unable to change that. So you need to adjust your expectations around what you're going to be able to do. So I worked with Alex over a number of months. It wasn't in an EAP setting, so it was in a little bit of a longer-term therapy setting. But over that period of time, he made adjustments to his expectations and simultaneously, when you, you find when people make adjustments to their expectations, that a lot of that other stuff um, sort of dampens down a little bit. So Alex's anxiety reduced, his frustration reduced. And then we looked for another area that Alex could work, uh, work in that wouldn't aggravate his back injury. I linked him into um, an employee uh, support program with uh, some of the job networks at that point in time. 
and he found employment in an area that wasn't physical, didn't require any physical exertion on his behalf. And um, I actually received a thank you um, card from that client many years later, thanking me for changing their lives and helping them to get back on track in something at a point in time that they thought they would never be able to make adjustments. So that's probably one of the key ones. Great story. That's that's amazing. And, and Kylie, what about you? Any anecdotes you can share with us on the same front? Obviously, I don't have the clinical background that Shane does there. So mine is really more around what a program like this can achieve for employees. So when an, you know an employer or a, a member organisation like the Guild actually imp- implement a program like this. So it, it's very much around breaking down the stigma. Um, the industry that, you know, the Guild represents, they are all about caring for others. Um, and, you know, sometimes asking for help is maybe not something that's top of mind because you're always helping others. Um, as I said earlier, you know, there's many things in life that we can do by ourselves, but there are also many people in the world who have created ways to make things we do easier. Um, you know, calculator analogy at the beginning, you know, simple equations we can do in our head all by ourselves. But when you get a more complex equation, um, we can always just reach for a calculator to make it easier for us to solve the problem and not to do it all in our own head. Um, I think that, you know, this program is like our calculator in life. You know, sometimes you need a little bit of help to make things easier and, you know, that's okay. Kylie Hancock and Shane Dealing. The EAP is an amazing program offered by the Guild. Thank you so much for coming on the show and helping us understand all of the things the EAP can provide support with, but just as importantly, how accessible it is. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. A huge thank you to both Kylie and Shane for giving us all a much better insight into what the EAP is and how we can use it. If you're listening to this episode and struggling with something, whether it's big or small, I hope you take the opportunity to reach out via your EAP to get the support you need. Remember, your mental well-being is just as important as your physical well-being. So please take care of yourself and I look forward to you joining us on the next episode. Until then, I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 133 of the PBCN podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.